And good morning, Elevation. It's good to be with you here in this online space. For those of you who may just be tuning in for the first time, my name is Brandon. I'm the lead pastor here in Waterloo, and it's great to see you here. I read this great story this week, and I love when I come across a story that just like hits that sweet spot. It came out of Auckland, New Zealand. Now, Auckland, New Zealand is in a very strict pandemic lockdown. They are alert level four. And what that means is that there is no leaving your house unless it's basically an absolute essential trip. Now, the cities around Auckland don't have the same restrictions. And so one particular night, police were out um, watching one of the roads that comes, goes between Auckland and the neighboring city, and they saw a car maybe driving a little too fast. It was, you know, seemed a little suspicious. So they pulled this car over. And what they discovered in the trunk of this car was just unbelievable. So I'm gonna show a picture up. That's right, the car's trunk was filled with Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket after bucket, bag after bag, box after box of KFC filling the trunk of this car. Evidently, these people had enough of this lockdown and they decided, you know what, if we can't even leave our house to get food in our city because fast food delivery was not even available, they're going to hightail it to the next town, pick up some KFC and bring it back for a big old party. Now, I mean, the other detail in the story was they also found $100,000 of cash in the trunk of the car, so maybe there was more to it, um, but we'll let the police deal with that. Anyways, when I read this story, I had this thought, it's like this pandemic world that we are living through is making some of us go just a little batty, isn't it? We are thinking thoughts, we are feeling feelings that we have never thought and we have never felt before. And some of those thoughts and feelings are translating themselves into actions. Now, more than ever, it is important for us to root ourselves in the way of Jesus, inviting God to give us what we need most so that we can be faithful witnesses in his world. Now, as we pass the 18-month mark of this pandemic, we need things like strength and courage. We need things like vision and hope. And we've spent the last couple of Sundays talking about those themes. While this isn't meant to be an exhaustive list by any means, I think it's fair to say that one of the things that we need most now more than ever is other people. Or as the New Testament authors like to put it, we need brothers and sisters. There's this great line by the late comic George Burns. Happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. Isn't that about right? I mean, we value the support. We love the people at an appropriate distance. The word family, of course, means something a little different to each one of us. Maybe it's your, our nuclear family or an adopted family or an extended family or blended families. Regardless of the size or the location or makeup of your family, every one of us knows that family life presents us with some incredible, shall we say, growth opportunities. There's this great story in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph was a 17-year-old at this time, and all of his brothers were older than him. And let's just say that they were tired of him. They blamed him for getting um, a special treatment from their parents, which he did. They blamed him for being lazy. He didn't go out into the fields like they did. They blamed him for tattling on him, which he did. They blamed him for his incessant bragging about how one day they would all bow down to him. Over time, their inability to establish a healthy relationship with their younger brother, annoying as he may have been to them, it led them down a dark path. And they decided it is time to get rid of the, this kid. And they actually made a decision to end his life. 
But one of the brothers intervenes. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. Are you kidding me? Like, did you hear what he just said? In the same sentence, he said, he's our flesh and blood, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Like, this is just crazy town. Now, it's an extreme story, yes, but it's also a reminder of what happens when we allow things like anger and jealousy and resentment to wind their way even into our closest relationships. So, family members have been at odds with one another since the very beginning. But something shifted in 2020, and I doubt any of us have been left untouched. It began with isolation. I think the first way that our families were impacted was isolation, and really it had two different forms. The first form might have been that you were isolated away from family, so you were not able to be in close contact with members of your family, people that you loved, and that was very difficult for some people. Uh, others found it maybe on the other side of things. You were isolated with family, and actually having so much close contact and so much communication with the same group of people made things difficult. So that was maybe early pandemic, but in recent months, you know, things are opening up and we've been able to reestablish that. So isolation isn't so much of a factor anymore. Uh, the other thing has made its way in though to our families and that is differences of opinions. Again, since last summer, the differences of opinions, whether it's with respect to politics or whether it's respect to what's going on with public health, uh, are really having, taking their toll on families. About a month ago, I got together for lunch with three friends and we were sitting around talking. And what I realized at one point in the conversation was that all three of their immediate families, like their parents and siblings, were having significant conflict with one another, whether it was about political views or response to the pandemic. And I was thinking, this is really affecting just about everyone. Now, every one of our stories is different, but many of us know what it's like to be at odds with the people that are supposed to have our back. And if we're willing to be honest, we might even admit that we too have failed to have the backs of the people who are counting on us. Now this next line might surprise you, but believe it or not, Jesus can identify. This morning's reading, it comes from Matthew's gospel, but it's also recorded in Mark and Luke, and the stories are pretty much the same. So to be honest, I kind of chose Matthew at random. But as I was studying, I realized that Mark actually tells a bit of the story that the others leave out. And I wanna read that for you. It comes from Mark chapter three, verses 20 and 21. So again, this is, just before the interaction where someone kind of knocks on the door and says, Jesus, your mother and brothers are here. So this is just before that. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. So just as Jesus is starting to come into his own, he's starting to announce publicly that the kingdom of the heavens is in their midst. He's just beginning to live out this vocation, this calling as the Messiah. His own family tries to stop him. Have you ever felt like that? Like the time when you needed the support of your family the most, they weren't there for you? Have you felt let down by the Peter, people that mattered the most? I wanna pause just to acknowledge how demoralizing this can be, and if that's your experience, I'm really sorry to know that. But I also want to acknowledge that Jesus gets it. So you can come to him, lay out the concerns and the frustrations and all the experience, knowing that he actually felt the rejection of his own family. 
Now, how we are treated by members of our nuclear, adopted, blended, or extended family matters a lot, but I want us to push things out a little further this morning. In the 19th century, Alexis de Tocqueville wrote a popular book called Democracy in America, where he was kind of painting a picture of the new world for people living on the continent. Uh, and this is what he writes at one point. Individualism is a calm and considered feeling which dispossesses each citizen to isolate himself from the mass of his fellows and withdraw into the circle of family and friends. With this little society performed to his taste, he gladly leaves the greater society to look after itself. Now, I came across an example of this. Uh, friends of ours uh, moved out to Saskatoon a number of years ago, and we got to spend a lot of time with them over the summer while they were visiting. And one of the things that they were telling us was the story of what happened in the early stages of the pandemic when, uh, after the initial lockdown, they introduced the concept of bubbles. Remember those, when you were not only allowed to be with the people in your immediate family, but now you could extend that to a few more people? What they said was that everyone in their lives, all the people that they'd met at church, everyone they've met in their neighborhood, began to bubble with their families, leaving them no one to bubble with. And they began to realize that this is the experience of someone moving from out of province. But as the 19th century de Tocqueville quote reminds us, this is not a new problem. This is not something that just happened in the summer of 2020. This has always been the case. This bubbling example reveals a need that we all have for something more than family. Our immediate family can be a great support, but there are times where we need people outside of that circle. So we come to our reading this morning from Matthew 12. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Now, remember what we learned in Mark's account, that Jesus' family had come to take charge of him. And why? Because he was out of his mind as far as they were concerned. Now, imagine a coworker taps you on the shoulder, or for students, uh, imagine your principal locks on the door of your classroom, and they say this same line, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. What goes through your mind? One of two things, I think. First, probably fear. You're probably terrified. What has happened? There's some terrible news they're here to tell me about. Um, or just sheer embarrassment. Like, why are my parents at my workplace? Or why are my siblings here at my school? This is strange. Um, it reminded me, actually, of a time when my niece turned 16 years old, uh, I went to her high school and I dressed up in a giant pink gorilla costume and I went to her class with a handful of balloons and I knocked on the door and I went in and I got the whole class to sing happy birthday to her on her 16th birthday and I thought that was great. But of course, I'm sure she was humiliated of her mind, a perfect example that we don't really want our friends or family showing up at the door like this. Well, based on Jesus' response, it seems like he had a pretty good idea of why they were there. He wasn't afraid when they showed up, he wasn't embarrassed, um, but he replied to the person who inquired, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, if his family had previously thought that he was out of his mind, well, this was just confirmation. Okay, now he's either forgotten who we are or he's pretending he doesn't know us. This is not a healthy sign. But then pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. On the surface, this could be taken as an insult to those closest to him, but it was spoken more like a blessing to those who wanted to be close to him. It's like he was saying, I am as available to you as I am to my closest family members. But it's even something more than that. Being joined together in doing the will of my father is a bond every bit as close as the one I have with my mother and brothers. 
These words of Jesus introduce us to a new way of thinking about family, and the earliest Christians picked this up and they wove it into their language and their theology. In almost every New Testament letter, we read the phrase brothers and sisters. We find it repeatedly. An example from 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we read in the footnote, that little A in brackets, this is what we find. The Greek word for brothers and sisters, adelphoi, refers here to believers, both men and women, as part of God's family. Now, I read a book this past year, it was called How Your Church Family Works, and in the introduction, the author says, the church is not a family. Families are more committed and intense. Their relationships are repeatedly reinforced and deeply patterned. So he was acknowledging, even though the book was gonna talk about the church as a family, he's saying it's not quite the same. The, the level of intensity isn't quite there. But even with that caveat, Christian faith offered us the gift of an extended family. And it also presents us with a lifelong challenge of believing that this diverse group of people who is who Jesus say they are. They are brothers and sisters and mothers. Now I'm gonna ask you to do something here. I want you to bring to mind the faces of some of the members of our Elevation community. Now, if you're visiting with us online, you may be like, I don't know anyone. Think of the people maybe you've seen on the screen so far in our service. But for those who are part of the community, bring to mind some of the faces of people you know. Maybe someone that you've had over recently, maybe uh, some of your people your kids are friends with, uh, maybe uh, someone that you've known a long time. Maybe bring to mind the face of someone that you have just met recently or that you don't really know or that you've always wanted to get to know a little more. Maybe bring to mind the face of someone that you don't really get along with or that you're not interested in getting to know or, or maybe that you even had a falling out with. I want you to keep some of these faces and some of these individuals, these real people in your life, hold them for a moment and let me ask you a question. Do you believe it? Do you believe that these people are your brothers and sisters in faith? And can you live that out? Can you treat the people in our faith community as brothers and sisters? Remember, Jesus said, whoever does the will of our Father in heaven is brother and sister and mother. At the end of the summer, I read this book and the, the main character in the book was explaining her Ghanaian mother's frustration uh, with American culture and particularly the way they viewed family. They had emigrated from Ghana to the Southern US and she was expressing to her kind of growing up daughter how she was frustrated by the way that Americans seemed to have such small and narrow views of family, where back in Ghana, they would uh, call everyone cousin or auntie. And that was just the way that, that they lived their life. Everyone is really part of this same family. And I think that's a, like a healthier way for us to think about our relationship with one another in the church. The other night, Melissa and I had our niece's uh, kids over for dinner, their age like two, four, and six. So it's been a little while since we've had three kids around that age in our house. Of course, we have three kids, though they were once that, those ages, but it's been a little while. We were a little rusty, um, but it was fun. We got to play with them. I got to introduce the little four-year-old boy to Star Wars for the first time. I was like, 
like what a gift, this is exciting for me. Uh, we had them around the dinner table though, and the night before I had made this like fancy baked mac and cheese casserole, and, and we thought, oh, you know, they'll like macaroni and cheese, this will be fun, so we put it on their plates for dinner. And Melissa asked the little two-year-old, she's like, you know, he's like, do you like it? You know, do you, what do you think of the dinner? And her response was, I hate it. You know, just brutal honesty. So we had this great time with them, but it was kind of funny, as we were sitting around the dinner table, um, Melissa was trying to explain who we were to them, like trying to explain the relationships. So they're like, you know your grandma? Well, you know, I'm your grandma's sister, she would say. And they're, you know, blank looks on their face. So she's like, okay, let me try another approach. She's like, your mommy is my niece. I am your mommy's aunt. So I'm your great aunt. And this is your great uncle. And again, they're like looking at us. They're like, you know, in, in their little minds, they're thinking, we love our parents, we trust our parents, they left us here, we don't really know who you are, but this is fine, you know. Anyways, we swapped out the mac and cheese for some peanut butter sandwiches and all was well. Now, we don't really know these kids all that well, that's the truth. I mean, especially in the last 18 months, we haven't seen them a whole lot, but the truth is they're family. And so we welcome them to our home and we're happy to have them in our lives. But this, I tell this story to share this next quote because this is a challenging thing for us to think about. William Willimon, who's an author and a bishop in the US, he writes, to all who brag, I would do anything for my family. The communitarian, communitarian Eucharist proclaims, that's not good enough for Jesus. This is a challenging quote, because I think for a lot of us, we probably would say something similar to, I would do anything for my family. And that is a good notion. There's something really beautiful about that. But he's saying that, no, like the, the heart of Christianity says that is actually not good enough. Now he uses this word communitarian, which is of course not a word that we would use in everyday conversation, but it's basically the opposite of de Tocqueville's individualism. This is a belief that our identity is shaped and formed and found in community with other people. It's kind of like a bunch of university students moving into a residence together. We are called to make this group of people our family. They are the people that we're journeying along with in faith and they will be our family. But it's even more than that because, you know, in that illustration, students might be a family with one another for a year. But, but we're trying to do this over the long run. N.T. Wright acknowledges the difficulty that some of us find thinking about our church community as a family. He says, many people today find it difficult to grasp the sense of corporate Christian identity. We've been so soaked in the individualism of modern Western culture that we feel threatened by the idea of our primary identity being that of the family we belong to, especially when the family in question is so large, stretching across space and time. All the same, the call of Jesus is to spread the boundaries of our family, our understanding of family, far and wide. So a couple of questions for us to ponder, and we'll have a time to discuss these in our post-service discussion. What does it mean to belong to a family of faith? And what will it mean for you to be family with the people gathering around our city and beyond this morning? What will that look like? Now, questions like these, they bring us back full circle because if we decide and commit ourselves to treat each other like family, well, then we're gonna face some of the struggles that normal families face, which we talked about a few minutes ago. And when we know that's gonna happen, we're gonna get the best of family life, but we'll also get some of the worst. An author named Frank Bartom, and I read this quote in the summer, and in the midst of everything going on in the world around us, I kind of jotted it down because uh, I thought it speaks to us in a significant way. He says that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. 
The devil splits a work in the middle, runs away with the heart, leaving the shell, driving the saints to both extremes and destroys the whole. It's strong language, but he's talking about the way that even in this family of faith, that division can happen and that we can be shoved aside from one another, that we can isolate, that we can move to extremes. The increasing divisiveness in our world, in the world around us, it is a rallying cry for family unity, for us to do whatever we can to keep the bonds of our family strong. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 25, that every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. So we need to do whatever we can to strengthen the family that we're a part of. And how do we do that? Well, at the end of the day, we take the advice of 1 Peter 2:17, love the family of believers, or as the message translates it, love your spiritual family. Now, I've spent the last three weeks talking about things that after 18 months of this pandemic, we need now more than ever. I'm not gonna keep this up. We're not gonna talk about pandemic stuff every Sunday, I promise. But what I'm hoping is that some of this will set us up for whatever the next 18 months has in store. There's this great line by the author C.S. Lewis. He said, the sun looks down on nothing half so good as a household laughing together over a meal. I love that line. So let us pray that this would be the case in our homes, with our extended families, and as we continue to discover what it means to be part of this family of faith that we call Elevation. In just a moment, I'm gonna to pray to wrap up our time together. On the other side of that, you'll be invited to join some neighbors groups for discussion. If you haven't done this before, but you'd like to join, there'll be a link in the comments section. This morning, we're gonna share communion together. And I've written a little bit of an introduction that your group can share together to lead us in this, to help us reflect on the ceremony of remembrance in the context of being the family of Christ. Before we go, join me in prayer. Lord, we are grateful that we are part of your family. It's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to accept sometimes, but we are brothers and sisters in faith. We accept this challenge and we pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to live out this high calling. We ask that your blessing would be on each family, each extended family and over our church family as we move into whatever lies ahead of us. We pray these things with faith in Christ's name. Amen. Peace to you.